Welcome to Through the Line, the Agency Squared podcast with me, Andy Barjuri. In this episode, I'm looking at a subject dear to the heart of every agency owner or manager, and that's lead generation. And I'm interviewing a chap called Christian Banak, who is a lead generation expert based over in the US. And Christian introduces the key stages in his process for how agencies can create a way of generating predictable leads and sales opportunities and new business. So if you're in the agency side of the client agency divide, this is a podcast for you. Come and learn some tips on how you can optimize your process for gaining new business, new leads for your agency. Enjoy the show. Hi, Christian. How's it going? Great, Andy. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Thanks. Welcome to the Through the Line podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our, our conversation here. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, it's really great when someone with your background wants to come and talk because you're an expert in an area that is so important to agencies, which is lead generation. And it's an agency that, uh, sorry, it's an area I think that many agencies don't quite know how to do it that well. They're missing some of those key ingredients of what a successful lead generation program looks like. Um, so if you're here to share some some magic bullets, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely here to learn, and I'm sure all of our listeners are too. Yeah, um, looking forward to it. I will say there is no one magic bullet, but uh, there are many bullets um, that when you combine them together, you can have success. Yeah, awesome. And that's good to hear, actually, because I think uh, setting expectations is an important part of uh, agency life, isn't it? Let me try and really briefly introduce you and you can correct me where I go wrong. Uh, I think you've been around in the kind of agency world or marketing and communications for about 20 odd years and you ran your own agency for quite a long time. I think in the music events, promotions business, somewhere around there. And then you kind of uh, moved into more uh, lead generation business development for agencies. And, and now you kind of consult in that space. Is that kind of a really quick, close-ish sum of, of who you are? <laughs> you know, I, I say like a lot of agency owners that I come across, I became kind of an accidental agency owner. I, I started off, <laughs> as you mentioned, more in the concert promotions business. And I was 18 years old and, and uh, got a group of friends together. We would rent banquet halls out and book DJs and uh, and we had a lot of fun and, and we made some money along the way. It was a great way to pay my way through college. Uh, and then somewhere along the way, I got introduced to an experiential marketing agency who wanted to tap into our concert promotions capabilities uh, for some activations they had. And next thing you knew, I was helping them uh, on various activations that led to other opportunities and then eventually got us thinking, hey, we can go directly to the brands. Why are we working with the middleman here, the agency? Uh, and then that's how that evolved. So, yeah, that's a good, good background. Excellent. And, and I really like the fact that you're from Chicago as well. But I was just trying to think why I've got a soft spot for Chicago. And I was racking my brains earlier on today and I remember what it was. And it was back in the kind of 1980s. Um, football, as you call it, or NFL, as we call it, started to become popular over in the UK. And there was a player for the Chicago Bears called William Perry. Do you remember this guy, the refrigerator? 
Yeah. yeah, he was massive when I was a kid. And I think that's kind of stuck with me ever since that interest in the Chicago and the Chicago Bears. But um, anyway, that's a bit of a by the by. Um, it's great that you're in, in Chicago and happy to join us over here in the UK. Yeah. So, so, so let's explore lead generation uh, a little bit for agencies, because when we, when I talk to agency owners, there's a real different approach for for how agencies go about acquiring leads, um, and and yet it's such an important part of agency life. Uh, it'd be interesting to know if there's a kind of gold standard, a kind of process that agencies can go through and almost systemize this so that it becomes. Uh, almost natural rather than something that, that most agencies I know of are kind of always peddling furiously to try and do and catch up with their tail a little bit. So what, what does that look like? Is, is there such a thing as a really good lead gen process for agencies? There is. Yeah. And as you alluded to, it's interesting that, uh, you know, we've all heard the cliche, I'm sure the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Uh, meaning, you know, we do great work for our clients uh, from sales and marketing standpoint, but we don't do it for ourselves. And unfortunately, that's the that's the life of agencies. And I think we've become very reliant on uh, the inbound leads that come in, whether that be through referrals, through our networks, through the RFP process, uh, which is great um, when you have it. But when you don't have it, it's not so great. And the agencies that are really excelling today uh, have a system in place where they can more proactively target the right types of prospects, the right types of companies, the right type of work, and and really have a more predictable lead flow. And it all boils down to having a a system in place. uh, And and that's a lot of what the work that we do with our clients are today. I think that that's um, really interesting is that that word targeting you know as as marketeers it's you know it's kind of 101 isn't it segmentation targeting and positioning but i see so many agencies that haven't um haven't segmented their audience they're not going after a particular type of client whether that's a particular size or industry or product area um, and they're trying to be that that kind of uh, the term i hear all the time is full service outsourced marketing agency model type of thing. And, and whenever I read that, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit because, you know, if you're positioning yourself as a full service agency or an outsourced marketing department, you're really just uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. And that doesn't really appeal, I think, to client side marketeers. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and, and we do see it all the time. And I've seen really a shift even in, what the brands are expecting and wanting nowadays, uh, where the, the full service is, is much harder to win that type of business because the, cl- the clients are smarter than that now too. They want best of breed. They want the experts and, and they have the ability to do that. I think the internet certainly changed things uh, where uh, before you were maybe beholden to the agencies that were around you. But now, and I think especially now coming out of the pandemic, uh, I think uh, clients are more willing to work with agencies, not just in their local market, but really anywhere uh, in the world, provided that they're exactly, they can solve the exact type of problem that, that they're experiencing at that time. Yeah, I'm seeing the same sort of pattern there with how agencies are evolving as well. You know, we no longer have to hire people within half an hour of our office. You know, I don't care if you're in Chicago or Buenos Aires, as long as you can deliver what I need as an employer and you've got the exact skills, then I think that's not so much of an issue anymore. So I guess that that translates to what clients are looking for, but also what agencies need for their teams as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So 
so talk a little bit about that the the process then so when you're talking to clients how do you how do you map out that process what are the key stages that they need to think about yeah we've really come up with a, a proprietary model process if you will a framework that helps clients go through uh and build a system right and we call it propel and the first step uh is is understanding the pivotal problems that you solve for clients uh because at the end of the day Clients don't care how many awards you've won. They don't care where you're located, how many employees you have, your culture. All of that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they really care about, can you solve a problem that they uh, are experiencing? And I think we get caught up too much as as agency leaders uh, talking about all those other things I just mentioned. And we forget about why we're really here is, is to solve a problem. So that's the first thing that we do is really trying to get crystal clear. And we do that by taking more of an audit of all the clients that you've been working with uh, and really peeling back uh, and trying to figure out why did those clients hire you? What was that problem that you were solving for them? And try to pick at themes uh, across the board. You know, with some agencies, it's very clear that they solve one specific problem or a couple of problems. Others, it's a little bit uh, more challenging because they have been that full service generalist doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So in those situations, we got to peel back and then try to figure out uh, where maybe they're different, where they're unique, where they have remarkable mm-hmm. results, where there might be a, a better story to tell. So when we're going to the marketplace, uh, it will really resonate with clients. So that's the, the P of, of Propel, uh, is really getting clear on where you uniquely solve problems. Is this going to be a whole load of Ps, uh, Christian? It's not going to be like the new seven Ps of marketing, this is it? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. I like the sound of that because that's that initial fact find where you get to know an agency and you get to understand really where their skill sets are. Because I think most agencies, when they're talking uh, generalist, we solve all things for all people. They actually really have a one small sex, um, service that they're really good at. Um, they're just afraid to to niche down on that area. They're afraid to really focus their attention on that space. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. So yeah, so that's usually where we start. And then the second part of that is what we call the right to win audience. And you know, when I work with agencies, especially those smaller agencies, I oftentimes would hear oh, we want to work with Apple and Nike and Google and all the biggest brands that, that we would all love to work on, let's be honest. But does your agency really have the quote-unquote right to win those or are those more want to wins? Uh, so what we try to get clear on is, is understanding who are you currently serving? What are those industries? Who are they targeting? What audiences are they? And really try to find lookalike audiences that you can go after. And for some agencies, yes, it might be the Apples and Nikes, but for many, it's not. So we really try to get crystal clear on who that right to win audience is and, and then relate it back to those problems that you're solving. That's first and foremost. You can tell me you want to move into a certain category, which is great. But if that category isn't solve, isn't experiencing a problem that you're solving for clients, then that's going to be a disconnect. So we really try to look at that problem first and then go out and find, all right, what are the audiences that we have a story to tell that are experiencing that particular pain point? Gosh, that's a really interesting way to look at it. I haven't, I haven't heard anyone else describe it like that, but I really like your right to win audiences there. And I think that's interesting. You know, I've, I've worked over the years for massive agencies and, and really small agencies. And what I found was that the, the massive agencies more, were more easily able to talk to the massive brands, the Apples, the Nikes, the uh, Googles of this world. Uh, and they were very comfortable because the big brands like the big agencies. They like the, um, 
certainty of a big agency network is going to be able to solve their challenges and service their needs. And smaller agencies, you know, when they've got a very deep expertise, they can work with those big clients. But typically you're looking at that next tier down of, uh, you know, mid-tier, mid-sized brands that you can work with as a small or medium-sized agency. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think certainly if you have a very specialized skill solving this very specific problem and Apple or Nike or Amazon is experiencing that, we can absolutely go to market, you know, for that. But it really revolves around that problem that you mm. solve. Because if you're not experiencing it, you don't probably have a story to tell there. Yeah, perfect. Okay. I like that. So we've got propel as your first step, right to win as your second step. Yeah. What comes next? Third step is um is a compelling offer, is is O. And what we really advise clients on is, especially when we are talking about more proactively targeting prospects, is to try to give value before you ask for value back. Uh, clients don't want to just get on another phone call, another 30 minute, let's tell you how many awards we've won, you know, let me go through my creds deck. They don't want to have those types of conversations. So we really try to help agencies understand, you know, what can we give them that will demonstrate our expertise, add value to them first and then build that trust with the prospect, and then that would move into the next phase. So uh, that could be everything uh, on a more simple level to thought leadership type content. Um, But again, there's so much thought leadership that's being thrown out there uh, that it's kind of hard to cut through the noise. So what we've been doing a lot lately is really advising clients on coming up with workshops. So a a one hour perhaps, uh, where we would un- uh, unveil some of our key learnings in a specific area that might be interesting to this particular client. And we actually help them start to think through uh, a particular challenge on the call. And it's really a great way for the agents or for the client to start to see how the agency thinks and it positions them as an expert. And you're, again, giving value back to them before you're asking for anything back in return. Uh, so that's that's the next step there. Yeah, I like that. So interactive workshops one-on-one between the agency and the target client to just work through a challenge and at the same time demonstrate your expertise build some trust there yeah good Uh, for a second there i was worried when we were talking about thought leadership because as you said there's just so much isn't there there's so much noise right now that to really get cut through in that kind of one-to-many environment with thought leadership i think is is significantly difficult yeah, it, it really is. Uh, there, there's just so much out there, and especially for the smaller agencies, um, when they, you don't have that awareness and that trust, you know, sure, when McKinsey or Deloitte puts out something, you know, the CEOs and CMOs of companies may look at it, but a, a small independent agency with 20 people that these, uh, you know, brands don't know uh, are probably not going to read and, and go through that, that, that content that you produce. And and there's just a whole challenge. You could produce it, but how are you going to distribute it? How are you even going to get it in front of those decision makers to read it in the first place, uh, which uh, oftentimes is completely overlooked by agencies. They, <laughs> they're lucky enough to actually produce it. They forget about the distribution part of it. Yeah, it just sits in a blog post or on LinkedIn and it doesn't get any traction. Yeah, totally. Uh, I've seen that and done that myself many times. So it's easy to think I can produce some compelling content, a, a book or a guidebook or something. and 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 forget about the need to really promote that and put it in front of people. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to be that inbound marketing magic you think it is when you produce that kind of content. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've got compelling offer. That sounds really good. I like that. Where do we go to after that one? The next step in is the, is another P. So professionally persistent, and this kind of goes to 
the distribution that we just talked about is whether that is a thought leadership article um, or more commonly, uh, like we advise our clients of workshops, is proactively targeting those that right to win audience with cold emails, uh, cold calling, social media, uh, could be direct mail, uh, and doing so in a way that, as I mentioned, professionally persistent. Uh, I see agencies who do dabble in outbound, they might send an email out and then they wonder, well, why didn't nobody call me back? Yeah. And the reality is it's going to, we see it takes anywhere from eight, 10, 12 different touch points in order to get responses from prospects. Uh, so you want to create a sequence of touch points, a multi-channel approach as well, where it's not just email, not just phone, but you're doing it across a multiple channels in order to try to get the attention of a prospect. And with each one of those touch points, you want to be adding some value. You're not just, hey, I'm just checking in. Did you get my email? You know, you don't want to you know, do that. That's the quickest way to, to get deleted and, and blocked and put in the spam folder. But adding value along the way to start to build trust with the prospect. Um, so that's very important to map that sequence of touch points out and get that content, get that, that workshop, whatever you happen to be offering in front of the right people that you want to be speaking to. Yeah, I think professionally persistent sums that up so well because it's it would be very easy just to send out one email to promote a piece of content or one workshop and, and just sit back and wonder, well, where's the leads here? And at the same time, it would be very easy just to bang out loads of cold emails uh, and irritate people and, and as you say get into that spam folder so i think you sum that up really nicely professionally persistent i like that yeah uh, and, and it's in, interesting isn't it you know that multi-channel approach there is you know i can't just send out an email or reach out on linkedin for example it takes a lot more touch points a lot of variation to actually generate that traction um yeah, yeah it really does and I, and I see you know people are surprised like wow you, you know you're you're using the phone i thought cold calling is dead we hear that all the time and uh, to be honest, I mean, at least half of the meetings that we're setting on behalf of our clients or for ourselves are, are coming through the phone channel. And I think salespeople have become so over-reliant on emails that uh, oftentimes the phone is is forgotten. Uh, and, and sometimes it is. It's that multiple touches. You might be hear a voicemail or you get them on the phone and then they see the email and they're more apt to open your email at that point. So it, it really... Again, it, a lot of this is, you know, seems basic because we're doing it for our clients, but we're not doing it for ourselves. I mean, we, we would we advise our clients that you have to have this omni-channel, multi-channel approach. So why are we not doing it for ourselves in our own efforts? <laughs> Cobbler shoes, as you said at the start, or the plumber's toilet that doesn't flush. I always, um, I think with cold calling is it's, if you're not happy doing that, don't do it. Find someone else to do it for you because cold calling, if you're if it doesn't come naturally to you, is is quite challenging. It can be quite bruising to the ego, uh, but but at the same time, I think now is a great time to do it because we're all remote, so everyone's on their mobile phones or cell phones in the US. Uh, we're all tired of zooming and teaming and all this sort of stuff. So a phone call is actually quite a nice distraction, I think, for many people. Yeah. So if, I think now is a great time to be doing uh, cold calling. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I've found actually it's been a little bit easier to get folks on the phone lately because there's less travel going out. So some of the busy executives are, you know, they're at home. Uh, they're they're not on a plane. They're not traveling to conferences. So it's actually, we've seen an uptick actually in the phone uh, over the last you know year. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that. I'm really not. Um, okay, good. What's the next step in the process? Next step is E, which would be engaging messaging. So 
we've got our professionally persistent outreach happening, but we have to remember we need to be engaging in our messaging. And, and that takes form in many different ways. So, you know, again, we have to be focusing on that pivotal problem. We have to be offering something compelling, but we also need to be considerate of the channels that we're using. So if we're on email, we need to be short and concise with our message. Uh, I remember when I first started doing this out, outbound type prospecting, uh, we were writing emails of 250, 300 words and now it's down to maybe 125 words. Really? So, okay. So cut to the chase. Cut to the chase. And at the same time, you have to touch it. You have to build some trust in the email. You have to zero in on that problem. You've got to show that you've done personalized research on the prospect. So all that is very challenging. So there's an art and a science to it. Mm. Um, but I would say one of the biggest takeaways that's happened over the last year or so is it has to be personalized. So when, when whether we're advising clients or doing it for ourselves, we are, you know, researching not just the industry that they, that uh, prospect is in, not just the company themselves, but even down to the prospect level. So we're writing something very particular to that particular company and a challenge they're experiencing, and p- maybe even to the down to the role that they're experiencing. So it doesn't look like this is an email coming from a, a robot or some mass, you know, marketing type of program. So it's, it's very important to do that. Otherwise, again, you're, it's going to be instantly ignored uh, and deleted. So, you know, so there's art and science to keeping things engaging. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting. I, I think at this point here, probably many people will be thinking, wow, there's, that's a lot of time required to get to that level of personalization. And I think from your perspective is that time is probably well worth spent. It is, you know, what, what we advise our clients as well is it, it's sales. Yes, there's a numbers game. So there is sort of a balance between quality and con- uh, quantity that you have to balance. Uh, but when we sometimes tell our clients uh, that we have how many prospects we're going to reach out to in a month, they oftentimes are like, wow, is that enough? Well, it is enough if you write, you know, very compelling uh, messages and use the process that we have here. We have a very high conversion rate to the number of co- companies we reach out to, to how many we end up, you know, getting in front of and setting meetings for because of that approach uh, versus I've heard others that are sending out to hundreds or thousands of companies and, and getting less results than we're getting. Um, so I would rather, you know, invest the time with the right strategy and the right approach and get in front of the right companies that way versus trying to take a mass approach, which I have not seen work very well, especially over the last you know year or two. Yeah. Okay. So focusing down and being a bit more tailored is going to give you a higher conversion rate than that blanket approach of just pumping out messages. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Engaging messaging. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I like how you keep bringing it back to this pivotal problem. It's understanding really what it is, the the challenge you can help clients to overcome and having real clarity and understanding and how you, I guess, uh, uh, engage a client based on that understanding. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're, you've got your messaging set out, you're, you're engaged in your persistent outreach. So what happens next? So the last step, uh, which is kind of a continuous cycle, is to learn and optimize. Okay. Uh, you know, once you get into market, you're going to get conversations going with prospects. You're going to get feedback. And it's important that you take those insights and you continually evolve your messaging, your approach, uh, you know, where you're ultimately to kind of use the startup term, you're trying to find your product market fit. Uh, you may have some hypotheses going in that this is a problem that uh, clients are experiencing, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not all that um, yeah, important or urgent to them in that moment. Maybe what you thought was a compelling offer wasn't really that compelling in the eyes of 
prospect, uh, or maybe it was, but then you're, you're learning on those calls how to advance that and optimize that. So that's everything from keeping uh, track of your uh, metrics. So looking from an email standpoint at your open rates and response rates and looking at you know, your phone connection rates. So there's a lot of metrics you could track. And then there's just also just kind of anecdotal information. Uh, you know, what are prospects saying to you? What, you know, how does it feel to you once you're actually in market? And then take those learnings and the next campaign that you go out, optimize it and continually to uh, optimize as you go is really, you know, something that's important because I, again, I think a lot of people just sort of set it and forget it um, intended, instead of continually optimizing as you go. I think that's really important. And, and a few years ago, we did some sales training over here. And one of the things that the sales trainer told us to do was after each call is to, as you said, there, um, get some anecdotal feedback down as to what happened? What were the objections? How did we handle those objections? How did we um, get the advances you said there so we can move on to the next meeting? Or if we didn't, where do we feel that we uh, missed an opportunity? How could we improve that? And that's exactly what you're suggesting there, isn't it? Have those metric-based numbers, the open rates, click-through rates, all that jazz you get from um, your marketing uh, tactics, but also have your anecdotal feedback as well. And, and make sure you share that. If it's not just you doing the sales, share it with everyone else in the team that's doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very important. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, that's a really interesting uh, sequence or um, framework. I like that. I, I really like the, the the starting there with that um, pivotal problem that you're trying to solve. I think that too often as agency owners, we get really good at doing something and that's how we start our agency and how we grow our agency because we're great at PR for interior companies or we're great at SEO for uh, car uh, brands, for example. But um, we don't necessarily always focus on exactly what it is that got us in that place in the first place. You know, what is it that we helped our clients to overcome that's enabled us to to build this agency we're growing? Um, so I think that's fascinating. I think that's really, really useful. So what are the things that you see agencies doing that are those kind of red flags? You're like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I can see this isn't going to work for you. What are the kind of classic things we all do wrong that we need to stop doing? Yeah, well, I, I, unfortunately, I still see uh, agencies that are kind of doing this proactive approach that are, you know, they're, they're sending out mass emails to large lists that are just unpersonalized, like I started to talk about uh, previously. That approach is just, is just not going to work anymore. It has to be a very strategic, personalized approach in order, in order to work. So that's one that, that's, you know, really critical uh, this day and age. Um, you know, as I talked about the offering value, uh, you know, nobody wants to get out of this, the 30 minute phone call anymore with, so they could hear your pitch, right? How do you demonstrate value back uh, to the prospect? So that's another one that I think is very critical uh, for agencies to do. And, you know, I think even taking a step back, you know, from, from either one of those, is I think um, that agencies need to really start thinking about having a lead generation system uh, in place in the first place, uh, because uh, all too often it is sort of that waiting for the, the network, the word of mouth, the referrals, which to me is great, but those are bonuses. I, I can't bank my, my, I would not want to bank my business on uh, a referral coming through the door or a word of mouth, you know, type of engagement. So I think it's really uh, those agencies that want to grow and are serious about growth, uh, really considering, you know, how they're going to have a system that's going to produce more predictable lead flow for them. 
Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's really important. If you if you look at all of the the text written around running businesses, it's about getting a system and a process in place so that you're not working in the business, you're working on the business to use that really hackneyed expression. And I yeah. think that's as valid for lead generation sales prospecting as it is for any other area of a business. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I see agencies doing quite often, and I'd love to get your take on this, is they get to a certain size and then the owner, he or she has said, I just don't want to do this sales anymore. Uh, but I, I don't know where to turn to. Should I hire someone? Should I outsource biz dev to an agency? Um, or maybe, and I've seen this a few times, I'll mandate everyone in the agency to have to do business development. So everyone now has to service their clients and also be responsible for generating new business. Uh, and, and that for me, I find a bit scary because when you're working in an agency, just because you're great at handling clients or you're great at design, it doesn't mean you're great at sales. You're great at biz dev. So just give me your take on that a little bit, Christian. What's, um, how do you, what, when do people get to a stage where they need to hire in and, or, or outsource and should they be relying on the team to generate leads? Yeah, I mean, I think from day one, there should be a plan in place in order how to generate leads. Uh, and I know that doesn't happen very often because a lot of agency owners, uh, you know, they may leave a prior firm that they were at, bring a client with them, and that's kind of how it starts. And then they're running, running, running to keep their to keep, you know, keep up with that one client. But I think really, you know, if you're just take a step back from day one, you really need to have some sort of plan in place. So um, now when the right time to bring a salesperson on versus, you know, the agency owner having to do it, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of variables to, uh, to that question. I think the number one salesperson in an agency is typically should be at least the owner. They're going to have the passion for the business. They're going to have the understanding of the business and the clients better than anybody else. Um, that's not to say that they necessarily need to be the one on the front lines, really trying to set the appointments and, and, and do all the, the dirty work, if you will, to, to get in front of the clients. Um, but if they're looking at trying to make everybody, you know, new business is everybody's responsibility. You know, oftentimes what I see that is it ends up becoming nobody's responsibility. There, there really still needs to be a captain of the ship. Now, that's not to say everybody can't play a part uh, in that role, um, but there needs to still be a captain that's leading, uh, that's leading things. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't seem like there's anything that gets done. And to your point, you know, many of those folks that are on the team, they're, that's not where their mind is at. They're, they're busy, again, servicing clients. They have other jobs, not necessarily to uh, be mining their networks uh, or uh, you know, having sales conversations, and nor do they really even know how to have those conversations or are they comfortable with those conversations. So you know, we do work with clients sometimes to, to help um, with them, with their team, uh, and, and how to strengthen maybe somebody who's been put into a role that they're not comfortable with, and, and that could work out well. Um, you know, but again, their, their heart has to be in it. If you're just going to anoint someone, you're in charge of new business and they don't want that role. Uh, I don't find that to work out too well. So I am still more of an advocate of having, you know, that one, um, person that is in charge of the program. And then yes, there could be other players that help along the way as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what was the expression you used? A captain of the ship, steering the ship. I think that's right. You know, if you've got one person who is solely responsible for lead gen and building a pipeline and managing the pipeline, and, and they aren't distracted by looking after clients, because particularly in an agency environment, I think that whenever we've got 
a big project on a new client, we have to dedicate a lot of resources to that. Uh, and that's always at the expense of other areas of the business. And, and if you're not careful, that could be at lead generation. And you might spend three, six, nine, 12 months, whatever, servicing your clients. And when you need that pipeline, it's just not there because you haven't uh, you haven't spent the time or the resource to build it whilst you've been busy servicing clients. Uh, and I think that's another interesting point is I hear with agencies is unrealistic expectations around how long it takes to build a pipeline. Have you come across that? Is that something you've seen as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I relate new business as kind of that old school water pump, you know, where you would go to and you, you pump, you pump, you pump and nothing comes out. And then finally you reach a certain point and the water spews out. That's, that's how I relate it uh, because you, you're, you have to take a number of factors in number one, there's, there's only so much bandwidth for doing outreach and getting in front of prospects in the first place. Uh, there is that testing and learning that we talked about and optimizing. So, you know, you can't expect day one that you're instantly going to get it right. There's going to be an evolution of your program uh, first and foremost. Uh, then you, you slowly build up uh, as you go, but there's a sales cycle involved, you know, in, in a normal inbound, there's still probably going to be maybe two, four, six months sometimes before an inbound lead would even close. And when you're talking about outbound, you're really trying to build a relationship first and foremost, before there may even be an opportunity. So that could take months or even years sometimes to build that relationship before an opportunity were actually to come out of that. So, you know, I usually advise clients that are looking at more of an outbound based approach that, uh, you know, yes, you're going to start to have meetings with prospects within the first couple of months of launching the program. Um, Maybe after the first six months, there's going to be some opportunities that come through. But usually it's that month six to 12 is where the opportunities and and the new business uh, wins start to happen. And, um, you know, a lot of agencies are are shocked by that and and Mm. they don't want to hear that. But it's interesting <laughs> when they talk. When you talk to clients, often like you know, you wouldn't expect your your client shouldn't expect of you to the day you launch a, a new program that their sales are going to skyrocket. Obviously, it takes time. Uh, you know, if you're in the SEO world, you don't post one or two blog posts and all of a sudden the inbound leads are flowing and your web traffic spikes. It takes time to grow, and outbound is no different. It's I talked at the top of this podcast that there is no one magic bullet. And, and this isn't a magic bullet that you just turn on and, and it fires and you have new business. It, it takes time. But if you're willing to invest into your agency uh, and have the stomach and have prepared the right way for this, uh, it can be wildly successful. But you have to go into it with the right mindset. Yeah, I totally agree. I was just thinking there as you were talking about that, that, that six to 12 months, I think will be a shock to a lot of people. And if you look at how agencies manage their affairs, and it, it, a good measure here is how much revenue have they kept aside or how much uh, profits have they retained within the business to pay overhead for how many months could they cover before new business comes in? If they've only allowed two or three months, then that's what their mindset is in terms of how long it could take to generate new business. Right. There's a misalignment between what's what they've got cash in the bank to keep the business alive should everything else stop. And when they need new revenues, then that's where you've got unrealistic expectations. And that's quite interesting. Yeah. I think that six to 12 months there will probably frighten quite a lot of people if they listen to that and they should listen to it because I would always say, you know, it's a minimum six months for you to start seeing results from a new business program. And if you think any sooner than that, you might get the occasional lucky hit. You might get a break where someone actually really needs your skills at the moment you approach them. But I would think that's probably fairly rare that that happens. 
Yeah. Yeah. It certainly happens. Um, but I don't go into anything expecting that. If it happens, it's a bonus. Uh, you know, and I've had clients where it's taken up to 18 months. I think one of the clients I worked at is most successfully, um, it took 18 months, but, uh, they would, they're now looking back. They're absolutely the most successful client we had, but luckily they had that long-term vision. Uh, and unfortunately I see too many that start it, do it for four or five months maybe. And then yeah. they pull back just before things are starting to to hit and, and essentially they wasted a lot of time and money in the process just because they didn't give it enough time yeah totally right uh, I, i've seen that a few times as well there was something else you said that i wanted to come back to I, I think maybe it's to do with the personnel and i think from my point of view on that is if you've got teams that are really good at servicing clients don't task them with the need to find new opportunities task them with the need to service that client really, really well. And if they can find new opportunities within that existing client base, rather than looking outside. And that way you'll get really high rates of customer sat, your NPS score will go up. Um, but also you'll retain those clients for longer because they're being serviced really, really well. So I always much rather see um, those two uh, disciplines separated, the hunting and the farming as they're often called on accounts. Uh, I, I like that approach more. What do you think to that? Have you seen that? Is that a, an effective way of breaking that down? Do you think? Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think if you're going to task those folks with any sort of you know new business, it's really trying to how do we grow these accounts organically? How do we how do we get further into those companies? Uh, maybe work with some other departments, other people, expand their services. I would rather have my account people. Uh, trying to generate more revenue for my agency that way uh, than abandoning kind of those client relationships that they have and trying to start completely, you know, new relationships with with prospects. So I would, I'd much rather um, specialize and have the hunters hunt and have the farmers farm. We're in, we're in complete agreement by the sounds of things. So that's excellent. Uh, Christian, thanks um, for coming on. I think your process is really good. I really like it. It's really clear the different steps there. Um, where do you go to for inspiration? Who, who do you see? Who's doing good stuff? And you think, wow, they're doing great stuff. Or what kind of things do you read? What podcast do you listen to? Obviously this one, but what else do you listen to? Um, you know, I get inspiration from a number of different areas. Uh, you know, I, I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to audiobooks. I read books. Uh, I love documentaries. Uh, it's a really a wide range. You know, I, I look at a lot of, you know, kind of more classical business books, uh, you know, I love Peter, you know, Peter Drucker um, and Michael Porter on strategy. Uh, there's a few in the, in the agency space that are doing really good work. Uh, what if I want to you know, get inspiration more specific to what we do here at agencies? Um, you know, I also think mindset is incredibly important. Um, yeah. so I am I'm very much into meditation, uh, Zen meditation in particular, and, and learning uh, from there, which I think has been very um beneficial for me. Uh, I think we, we talk a lot about tactics, but sometimes the mindset behind it, I think you can look in sports is, is really a good analogy about how much they're starting to think about visualization and mindsets. So I think the same translates to the business world as well. So there's some really great books to um, and, and, and other resources to use from a, from a meditation and, and mental uh, point of view. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a wide range. I, I also like, you know, doc documentaries of biographies, you know, kind of stand on the shoulders of the giants and, and yeah. with them, the mistakes they've made, the, the successes that they've had. Um, so yeah. 
Excellent. And I've just finished reading a book called Shoe Dog, which is the story of Phil Knight when he built Nike or Nike. Fascinating, really good book. If you haven't read it, I thoroughly recommend uh, diving into that one. What what an insight into the 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 personal uh, input required to build an organization of that size. Fantastic. And to hear you talking about mindsets, very encouraging as well. So I think um, when we start to work with clients, we we often look at that mindset. You know, what what is it they really want to achieve here? What's that? What are they visioned in terms of that end result? Helps us to understand whether we can help them as well. So so that's great. Absolutely. Christian, wow, so much value. Uh, how can people best reach out to you if they want to get in touch? They want to find out more about your process uh, and how to build a uh, a lead generation system, what, what's the best place to go to to get hold of you? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I'm on all the social channels, but I think that probably the easiest place to go would be to our website, christianbanach.com. Uh, on there, there's connections to all our social channels. We've also created a masterclass on the three keys to landing six and seven figure opportunities. Uh, that's a great place to take what we just started talking about here today uh, and take it a layer deeper. Um, and within there, you know, if you wanted to reach out and, and talk specifically about your agency, uh, we'd be happy to uh, to book a call with you. And and there's links in uh, on our website for that. Amazing, Christian. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. And I hope we get to catch up again soon. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for having me. <laughs>